Hey, thank you for listening to the Unchangeable Truth Podcast. Today, Pastor Stephen's sermon comes out of Romans chapter 9, verses 1 through 3, and it's titled, Where's the Burden? If you have your Bible today, please open it up. Romans 9, and we're going to be looking at verses 1 through 3, so we're still going through the book of Romans. It's a series entitled, A Life Transformation. If you're new to us, we go and cover every single verse uh, that is called expository preaching. It basically means this in layman's terms. We take every bit of meat off that bone until there's no meat left. Okay? And so that's what we're doing. We just finished up, uh, I don't know, roughly, I think it's eight weeks that we finished or took through Romans chapter 8. And so we are in 9 And the title of today's message is, Where is the Burden? Where's the Burden? And uh, I want you to think of it, for those of you who can remember, you remember remember the uh, the little old lady for Wendy's back in the 80s in the commercial, Where's the Beef? And she was so angry because of these restaurants that gave you just a little bit of hamburger meat. And her deal was, where's the beef? I want you to think of it this way. Where's the burden? Where's the burden? Here's the truth. I'm a little bit agitated. And I want to ask you, where is the burden? Now, the reality is, I almost preached myself hoarse in the first service. And uh, they, they almost preached me to death. Now, I'm not saying they liked it. But uh, anyway, they got it anyway. And so today, we're looking at a passage of Scripture. He's just gone through arguably one of the greatest theological chapters in all the Bible and what is known as the apex of our faith. And so now he's saying, here's how this faith plays out. Here's how it plays out. Now, Highland Park Baptist Church, is uh, it has the reputation of being a very evangelistic church, that we are a growing church church uh, that last year we baptized 186 people who professed Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior more in any single year in the 78-year history of our church. And so I thank God for every single one of them. Church growth experts would say this. They would say if you are baptizing roughly 10% of your worship attendance, then you are at the top. You are a key leader, and we're a little bit, a little bit above that. We're doing better than that, and, uh, and I'm kind of setting you up here because I think our church falls short when it comes to having a true evangelistic zeal. I think our church falls short when it comes to having a concern and a burden for lost people. When I think about our church in 2022, and when I think about the early New Testament church that we read about in the book of Acts, I see a contrast between the two. I mean, they did so much with so little. We do so little with so much. They didn't have padded chairs. They didn't have microphones. 
They didn't have air conditioning. I would, mench- I would mention heating, but who cares? <laughs> they didn't have a state-of-the-art lighting system. They didn't have screens. They didn't have a television ministry. They didn't have beautiful buildings. But I'll tell you what they did have. They had the power of the Holy Spirit of God, and they had a concern for lost people. The Bible tells us that at the day of Pentecost, there were 120 that were in the upper room. And so Jesus has been crucified. Jesus goes to heaven. He goes up. The Holy Spirit comes down. The Christians go out, and the lost come in. And in one day, 300, 300 were saved. And then we continue reading about the church of Acts. And another day, over 5,000 were brought to Christ. It was a church that multiplied. Multiplication means this. It means that everybody goes out and shares Jesus with lost people. That is how the church of Acts multiplied. Now here's what I would say as our church, we have addition. We do not have multiplication. Now, I'm not all that smart when it comes to mathematics, but I can just assume this, that if everybody in this room brought somebody with them next Sunday, we would have twice as many people as we have in this room today. That would be known as multiplication. It's where every person realizes the importance of reaching people for Christ. And so if I've got any preaching me left whatsoever, I'm asking God for me to lay this burden on your heart today the way the Holy Spirit of God has been laying it on my heart all week long. I pray that the burden that I bring with me up here is going to be etched on your heart, right? I am praying that you'll not be able to lay it down. And I'm even going to take it a step further. I am praying praying that God will make your life miserable over the fact that there are lost people that are headed to hell. You say, well, pastor, I thought your calling was to make afflicted people comfortable. Well, that's part of my calling. The other part is to make comfortable people afflicted. Now, For the case of this study, you'll all be comfortable today. So since you're the comfortable, guess what part of my job you're going to get? The affliction. So let's look this morning, let's look at the burden that Paul had, the concern for lost people that he had. Romans 9, we'll look at the first three verses, okay? He says, I tell the truth in Christ, I am not lying my conscience also bearing me witness in the Holy Spirit that I have great sorrow and continual grief in my heart. For I could wish that I myself were accursed from Christ for my brethren, my countrymen, according to the flesh. Verse 4 says, who are Israelites, but we'll flesh that out again next week. So Paul is saying, I am so burdened over my Jewish brothers and sisters 
I'm so burdened over the people that I grew up with. I'm so burdened over my relatives, my coworkers. I'm so burdened over them because they don't know Jesus. They're not in Christ. And yet I am in Christ. And so he even says there, I have sorrow in my heart. I have continual grief. And then he says something that's just flat out crazy. I'd be willing to be accursed from Christ if they would be saved. I'd be willing to even be cut off from Jesus if they would be saved. So it's in that context today. I've got four questions that I want to ask you. He draws these four questions out in these three verses. And please understand me. These questions are not for anyone else. They're for you. They're for you. Question number one. Are you truly concerned about people without Christ? Teenagers, I'm talking about people that you go to school with. Are you truly concerned about them without Christ? Adults, I'm talking about people that you work with. People that you live next to. People that you have Christmas meals with and Thanksgiving supper. Are you concerned that they are lost without Christ? Do you really care? Are you burdened, as he says right here? Now, I suspect that most of the people in this room who are believers would say, absolutely. Absolutely, I'm concerned about people that are lost without Christ. But Paul takes it a step further, and Paul starts talking about his conscience. That while you may say, yes, I am absolutely concerned about people without Christ, your conscience may be rising up inside of you, and your conscience right now is saying, well, if you really cared about lost people, why don't you share your faith? Hello. Can, can we just cut to the chase? You're saying, oh yeah, I'm really concerned about lost people. And yet your conscience is saying, well, if you're really concerned about lost people, why don't you ever pray for them? Why don't you ever invite them to church with you? If you're really concerned about lost people, the conscience is saying, hey, don't say one thing and live another way. And look at what he says in verse 1. I tell the truth in Christ. I am not lying, my conscience also bearing me witness. So based upon those words, I would just like to say this. Our church is not reaching people for Christ the way that we should reach people for Christ. And I'll stand before you and I'll say this. I bear the responsibility for that. I'm the pastor here. I bear the responsibility for that. And when I read this passage of Scripture, and when I was studying this passage of Scripture, my conscience was speaking to me, and my conscience was saying, Stephen, you've got to have a heavier burden for lost people than you do. That in and of ourselves, we really are not concerned about lost people. That's the reason why he says right there that in Christ... I'm in Christ. That is in Christ that we develop a burden for lost people. Do you see what he says there? I speak the truth, the key in Christ. It was a favorite phrase of his. 
He's already used it all throughout the book of Romans. Matter of fact, if you read the other letters that he wrote to churches and he wrote to individuals, it's a favorite phrase, in Christ, in Christ, in Christ. Paul is saying here that I am in Christ, Christ is in me, and the more that you're in Christ and the more that Christ is in you, the more that you'll be concerned about people who do not know Jesus Christ because Jesus is concerned about people that do not have a personal relationship with God. If you're in Christ and he's in you, are you truly concerned about people who are without Christ? What is your conscience, the Holy Spirit inside of you, what is it saying? Here's the second question. And by the way, it just gets better. Is your heart broken for lost people? Is it? Look at what he says in verse 2. Paul says, I have great sorrow, continual grief. Any of us in this room say that? Any of us in this room say, man, it's 24-7 with me. I'm telling you, I go to bed and I'm thinking about lost people who need to be saved. My prayers are being, I mean, it's not about me sitting there saying, God, give me this. God, do this for me. God, accomplish this in my own life. No, my prayers are completely, completely, uh, they're, 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 they're taken captive by the fact that there are people that are lost. And I wake up that way. I, when I'm around people, I'm that way. When I'm not around people, it is continual. I cannot get any, any relief at all. Because there are people that are lost without Jesus Christ. Can we say that? It's important to Jesus. Do you know that? Do you want to know how broken the heart of Christ was for those without him? You go over to Luke chapter 19, and in Luke chapter 19, it tells us that six days before Jesus was crucified, he's standing on the Mount of Olives. I stood there on the Mount of Olives. You can look over the entire city of Jerusalem right there. And he's standing, he's looking over the entire city, and you know what the Bible says he did? He wept. He wept. We use the word wept, and we're like, oh, like this little tear came down his face. No, no, no. The word there is so intense in the Greek language, it is basically saying this, his body was racked with sobs. It was, it was controlling him, right? So he is there. He's looking over this city, a highly religious city. I'm telling you, it put us to shame when it comes to religion. And he says, if you only knew who could bring you peace, but you wouldn't receive me. He cried, racked with sobs. What made him cry? He looked at a city of people that was highly religious, and yet they were lost. They were apart from God. Now I can tell you this, when it comes to Panama City and even the greater area of Panama City, um, we're highly religious. We are. I, I mean, I looked preparing this week and, you know, I didn't even cast my net all the way around where uh, all you guys come from. I mean, we're no longer, I was having a, a conversation with one of our, our, our young men the other night and he was telling me where he drives from and bringing friends and stuff. And he's like, Pastor, you do know that we are not a community church, we're a regional church. And I'm like, yeah, thank God for that, right? 
I didn't even go all the way over the region, just the little bit of research that I did. Did you know that there are over 200 churches in the greater Panama City area? And even more than that, because I just quit counting, because I'm like, if I can get to 200, at least I can say there are over 200. 200 churches. That means 200 pastors. That means at least 200 congregations. My soul, you think with 200 churches, 200 pastors, 200 congregations, that this would be the purest, the most moral and ethical, most law-abiding place on the face of the planet. It's not. And here's what I think. I think that when Jesus looks over Panama City, Florida, he feels the very same way that he did when he looked over Jerusalem, a city that is full of religious people. We would say a city that is full of good old boys and good old girls, but people who don't really know God. And here's my question to you. Is it breaking your heart? Is it? Is it really breaking your heart? I'm not even asking you this morning, are you sharing your faith? That's a completely different question. What I'm saying is, do you even care? Paul's like, I can't get any rest. This is all I think about, that there are people in my life, relatives, family members, co-workers, right? People that I went to school with and I just can't even get rest because they are separated from God. Does it even bother us that they're lost and going to hell? Several years back, I preached a message at a former church that I pastored. And it was a, uh, a service talking about evangelism, a message talking about evangelistic zeal, that how we are to be uh, the hands and feet of Christ, but not to, as we've said earlier in our prayers, not for that to be exhausted on the temporary, but for us to earn the right to be heard so that we might win the lost. As we do here, we gave an invitation at the end of the service, and there was a couple that came forward, husband and wife, and they walked up and they said, listen, we know what you said, and I guess you're just going to have to pray for us, especially when it comes to our neighbor across the street, because that guy right there, we just can't stand him. Yeah, we're going to have to work on that. We're going to have to work on that. I mean, they had, they'd had some issues, some disagreements about certain things. And, and they're like, you know what? We, we just cannot be burdened over him. Maybe you'd pray that we'd be burdened over his salvation. And so I did. And I said, hey, listen, from time to time, I'm going to see you. And I'm going to say, uh, you know, are you burdened? Are you burdened? And I did. I did. I'd see him. Are you burdened? And his, the wife would always answer. And she would say this. Uh, uh, well, we're, we're not there yet. We're not there yet. And some of you are like, I think they live in my neighborhood. We're, I mean, yeah, right. They don't. They're not, they don't even live here, okay? We're not there yet. And then one Sunday morning, at the end of the service, we gave the invitation like we do here, and they were already crying before they left their seats. And they came down, and they're racked with sobs and tears. And I thought, you know what? They're there now. 
They're, 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 they're shedding these tears. They're broken. They're burdened over the fact that somebody lives directly across the street from them and they are not saved. And so they came forward and, 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 and the wife begins to talk. And here's what the wife says. The wife says, Pastor, it's been an incredibly terrible, hard week for us. And, and we're just so heartbroken. We're just so overwhelmed. We thought we would come forward this morning and ask you to pray for us because, because of the brokenness of our hearts. And I'm like, yes, Thank you, God. Thank you for this evangelistic zeal that they have for this neighbor that is lost. And, and, and I'd already been praying for their daughter who had grown up in our student ministry there because she was lost without Christ. And I'm like, they're probably even broken over their own daughter. And here's how the conversation went. Pastor, we're so brokenhearted because our pet that we love so much that we've had for 15 years was hit by a car in front of our house just this week and died. Would you please pray for us? We're so brokenhearted that our little pet is no longer with us. And then she spoke up and she said, and also would you please pray for us? Because just yesterday, our daughter was married. I sat there, I watched as my husband gave her away to someone else. And I'm just so broken over the fact that no longer will she be living in our house. They're gonna move somewhere else. And we would just ask that you would pray for us today in our brokenness. Mm. Am I the only one that sees something wrong with this situation? There is something wrong when a man and a woman will come to great distress and sob over the fact that their family pet got ran over and is no longer alive, yet they won't be brokenhearted that across that very same street is a man and his family that are dying and going to hell. There is something wrong. We got a problem, guys, that there is a mom that will sit there and be broken in tears over the fact that her daughter has been given away in marriage, and yet she would not be broken to tears over the fact that she probably never once shared Jesus with this same young woman that if she were to die, would go to hell. Am I the only one? We have a problem, church. I know folks say, oh, Highland Park, man, yeah, yeah. That's an evangelistic church. I know that they'll call me and they'll say, hey, based upon per capita and the number of people in the community, number of people in your church, man, you guys are doing it right. You're seeing some great things. And they'll say, hey, would you come here? Talk to us about that. Would you come here? We'll buy you a, a, a plane ticket and a hotel room and we'll buy you a nice meal and just come. And friends, listen to me. We have nothing to brag about. And God's been wearing me out. Paul's like, it is great sorrow. I can't even get any rest. It's a continual grief. William Booth, he's the guy that started the Salvation Army. William Booth, many, many years ago, in the 1800s, he, he sent... 
He sent some folks that were serving him into a city to win that city for Christ. And it was a very, very hard city in the United States of America. And, and so they sent a telegram back to General Booth. And they said, hey, listen, this city is not receptive. This city is so evil. This city, we think we're wasting our time. We've been here for a few years now. And they are not receptive to the gospel of Jesus Christ. Maybe we just shake the dust off our shoes and we go somewhere else. General Booth replied in a telegraph with two words, try tears. Try tears. Maybe you're here this morning and maybe you would say, I've got a family member, I've got a coworker, I've got a student friend, I've got a neighbor that does not know Jesus Christ. And you're like, I've tried everything in the world. I've tried it all. Have you tried tears? Mm. Has your prayer been, hey, God, break my heart over the condition of the lost? Question number three. Are you continually grieving for them? You're like, most of these questions sound the same. I know. Designed that way by purpose. I'm not just sucker punching you once. I'm going to do it four times. The key, I think, is the words in verse 2. Continual grief. Here's what Paul's saying. Paul's saying, hey, it's not just something that I get worked up at church. It's not just something that I have this one-time fleeting feeling about. It's not just something that happens on Sunday or when I read a book. No, no, no. Paul says, uh, it's not anything I can forget about. It is a continual burden. It is something that I'm carrying with me 24-7. It is there all the time. Whether I'm with people or not with people, the burden is still there. You know, right before I go to sleep, it's there. Right when I wake up, it's there. I dream about it. It is a burden that will not leave me alone. I'm always concerned about people who do not know Jesus Christ. And I'm afraid that this is the problem with our church. That as a corporate body, it does not seem as though that we are concerned about the lost all the time. I'm just being truthful. That our staff... Our staff does not do as good a job as we should in reaching people for Jesus Christ, and I take full responsibility for that. We've got 30 active deacons. And I dare say there are probably some in that active deacon body that have never led one single person to Jesus Christ. We've got over 200 small group leaders. By small group, I mean they teach life groups or they teach a connect class or they're involved in some kind of small group study that meets outside of this room. Over 200, and they're probably some of those small group teachers and leaders that have never led a single person to Jesus. They may not even know who's saved or who's lost on their class roll. And they don't even care. I'm just saying, if we were to suddenly get very serious about it, if we bear this continual burden for it that Paul's talking about here, that in one year, if every staff member, if every deacon, if every small group leader would lead just one person to Christ in a single year, we'd baptize more people than any other church in the state of Florida. But hear me. I could care less. 
about getting another award from the state of Florida. I mean, I have them behind a wooden paneled uh, bookshelf in my inner office. Right next to a can, I'm not kidding, you can go look, a can of green beans. <laughs> that for the life of me I should throw away and why I have it, I don't know. No, no, we don't do it so we can say, hey, yeah, look, man, look, we baptize more than any other church in the state of Florida. We do it because people are dying right now, and they will be, it's not for one day, it's not for a week, it's not for a year. They will eternally be separated from God. We do it to be obedient, church. We do it, hear me, hear me. You're like, my goodness, you're awful worked up. Oh, oh, I've been dealing with this all week. I gotta get some relief. I gotta throw on you what the Spirit's been throwing on me. That if we don't, who will? Mm. The Apostle Paul says this is not something I just get fired up about one time or another. This is a constant burden. And that's the problem with a message like this. Maybe you're here and you're like, I kind of feel a little uncomfortable. I wish you had not said that thing earlier in the service about getting up and walking out because I would have got up and walked out. And then there's some of you like, I don't even give a rip. I'll get up and walk out. I'm just hanging in here because I don't have air conditioning in my car. That's cool. But here's what'll happen. Maybe you're a little uncomfortable right now. You're like, man, pastor's coming on kind of strong. Let's go back to, let's go back to eight, Romans eight, and talk about theology. Let me just stop and say this. Your theology's null and void if it doesn't change the way you live and if it doesn't break your heart over people separated from Christ. And you're thinking, you know what? I don't know. 20 minutes or so, he'll be done, and then I can go and I can get in my car and I'll go wherever you're going to go, and I don't have to worry about it anymore, but I'll be out of here, and I'll forget, and that's right, that's right. You hear a sermon like this, and then you suddenly feel, uh, you know, fall under what I call the red-hot conviction of the Holy Spirit of God, and then you'll walk out of this room, and suddenly the ice-cold waters of reason will flood back in, or doubt will flood back in, until that hot conviction is now diluted into lukewarm apathy. And we have made lukewarm Christianity the norm. We think that's what it means. No, that is not what it means. Sometimes we'll sit there and somebody will get saved, they'll get fired up for Jesus Christ, and we say this, well, they'll just hang around us for a little while and they'll calm down. Hang around us and they'll, they'll settle into that lukewarm faith. And it's funny because it's true. I have a friend in Tennessee who, he was a young man and he got saved and he was so fired up about what Jesus had did for him. Honestly, everywhere he went, that's all he was talking about. Jesus, 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 Jesus. And he was in his church and they were singing the old hymn, Rescue the Perishing. You guys remember that? In case you're not familiar with that song, here's how it goes. Rescue the perishing, care for the dying, snatch them in pity from sin and the grave. Weep or the erring one, bring them to Jesus. Tell the poor sinner that Jesus can save. 
My friend said, man, it got me so fired up as soon as the service was over. I walked right up to the pastor and I said, okay, preacher, I'm ready. And the pastor said, ready for what? He said, I'm ready to go rescue the perishing. And the pastor said, well, we don't do that. That's just the song that we sing. He was heartbroken over that. And then he came to realize that whatever faith you have that is not leading you in a continual burden and grief over the loss without Christ, that is lukewarm faith. And we were never intended to have lukewarm faith. Are you all ready for question four? Well, it means we'll go home. I'll tell you what, I got something for I want to give you a question for since y'all weren't really ready for it. The world out there without Jesus is trying to teach us a lesson, okay? The problem is the church is not listening. The, the, this is what the world out there without Jesus is saying. Hey, make sure that your buildings are beautiful. Make sure that you have top-notch children's ministry. Make sure you, you, know, you have an area that's dedicated to students. And make sure that your seats are padded. And make sure that the air conditioning is working just right. And make sure that your sound system is good, right? Make sure that your music is beautiful. Make sure that you have pretty billboards out there. Make sure that you have slick, direct mail pieces. Do all those things and we're still not going to come. Lost people do not wake up on Sunday morning and say, you know what, how about we go down there to Highland Park Baptist Church today and learn about Jesus? They don't. They don't. The reality is, those of you who love Jesus have a hard time coming here on Sundays. And we think that they're going to sit there and they're going to wake up and they're going to say, all right, let's get everybody cleaned up, get everybody dressed. I know we've never done this before, but let's just go down there to the Baptist church. Let's just go any church that preaches Jesus. I could care less if it's Baptist. If they preach salvation by faith and faith alone in Jesus Christ, then I'll be their number one fan. They're not going to do that. They're not going to just happen to come down and be here at this place. Here's the way it'll happen. When you and you and you and you and you and students and you get so brokenhearted and burdened that you're like, I couldn't even sleep last night. There's that student in geometry. There's that friend that I eat lunch with. There's that coworker. There's that neighbor. He's a little rough around the edges, but I think he'd be all right. They're not going to come until we say, hey, how about come with me? But I'm not even trying to get them turned on to this church. No, no, don't even take the time to talk about your church. Let that be the after conversation. I want to I be linked up with Jesus. Folks, if you think lost people are just going to show up at this place of their own, of their own will, um, that, that's like a 10-point buck all of a sudden coming to your, uh, you know, your camp house, taking its antlers and knocking on the door saying, here I am, shoot me. Shoot me. That's not going to happen. And, and let me, let me, do we have any hunters in the room? Raise your hand. Any, any hunters? Anybody? Okay, I'm about to pick on you. Just give me a fair warning. 
What will we do? We'll sit there. I got to have my food plot. I got to make sure I got corn and depending on where you're hunting or not, you know, all the things that are involved. I got to have my security cameras and I got to have my, my shoot house on the ground. I got to have my, my stand where I put it in the exactly right spot. I got to make sure that if it's my land, it's posted. Nobody going to be hunting here but me. And I'm going to spend all this money. You know, I'm going to spend all this money in ammunition. So when I do get that right shot, I know whether does it trail to the right, to the left, low, high. I want to make sure this gun shoots right. We spend all that time. We spend all that energy. We spend all those resources so we might bag the big one. When's the last time you sacrificed anything for someone's soul? Am I the only one that sees, hey, we're a little messed up when it comes to this thing? And hunters, I was just picking on you, but it could be anybody else in the world. No, it is when we sit there and we say, I can, I, can I tell you about Jesus Christ? Can I tell you about the difference that he's made in my life? Can I tell you what my church is doing in my life? Would you come to my church with me? I'll sit with you. I'll pick you up. I just want you to see what God's doing. That's how lost people come to church. And we say, well, pastor, here's the deal. I don't really like talking to people about religion. That's a private matter. Well, if, if, if I were talking about religion, I wouldn't want to talk about it either. It is a private matter. You do understand we're not talking about religion, friend. We're talking about the most life-changing relationship a person can ever have. Yeah, our relationship is private, but our responsibility as followers of Christ is public. You say, well, then hang on, I can't talk to people about Jesus because I don't really know what to say, you know. I, uh, it's amazing. Now, we know all the stats of our favorite ball players, and we talk to somebody about the weather or about, you know, about our ball team or about our grandkids for hours until they're like, where are they ever going to shut up? But I don't know. I don't know how to talk to anybody about Jesus Christ. What in the world am I going to say? Well, friend, listen to me. If you know Jesus as Lord and Savior, start right here. Here's how Jesus saved me. Here's the difference that he's made in my life. You're like, well, shouldn't I, shouldn't I use, use, at least use some scripture or something like that? Absolutely. Go ahead and memorize some scripture. I'll give you three simple verses that you can memorize and you can use when it comes to sharing your faith. The first one is Romans 3.23. For all have sinned, right? All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Go ahead and memorize that one. Another one to memorize, Romans 6, 23. The wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord. I'll give you another simple one to memorize. Revelation 3, 20. Jesus says this, Behold, I stand at the door and I knock. He's talking about the doors of our heart. I stand at the door and I knock. And if any person will open the door and they'll let me in, I will come in and I will dine with them. I will come in and I will live with them. Those are three very simple scriptures. And someone might say, well, see, I'm just not very good at memorizing Scripture. I, I don't do a great job with that. I, I have a hard time. So that's the reason why I'm not sharing my faith. Well, I wonder if that would change if I said this. You know what? Five o'clock this afternoon, I'll be standing right here. And for every Scripture of those three that you've memorized, I'll give you $1,000. Some of you would become experts at memorizing Scripture. You probably respond this way. Okay, those are the three. Now, you got any more scripture that I can memorize? 
It's not ability. It's motivation. It's motivation. You just don't care. You say, oh, no, I do. No, if you cared, you'd do something about it. Jesus didn't say, do you love feeding sheep, did he? He didn't even say, do you love sheep? What did Jesus say? Do you love me? If you love me, you'll love sheep. If you love me, you'll feed my sheep. The more you fall in love with Jesus Christ, the more you'll have a burden to talk to others about Jesus Christ. You'll want to share with them, okay? Now, let me ask you again. Are you ready for question number four? Just this side. All right, y'all going to stay here. I'm going to give them question four, and then, then I'll come back to y'all later. Now, question number four. I'm about ready to wrap it up as well. Will you sacrifice for others to be saved? Look at verse three. This is mind-boggling that Paul says what he says in verse three. For I could wish that I myself were accursed from Christ for my brethren, my countrymen, according to the flesh. He's talking about his Jewish brothers and sisters that are without Christ. You know, probably some relatives, probably some folks that he grew up with, people that he knows from the neighborhood, people that he had a relationship with, that he loved these people. I think even that, he's taking it even greater. He's just talking about the Jews in general. He says, I'm so burdened for their salvation that I would be willing to give up my salvation if they could be saved. Now, don't miss what he's saying. He's He's talking emotionally there. He's not talking theologically. He's the guy that has already made it very clear. There's nothing that you can do that will sacrifice or will forfeit your salvation. It is secure in Jesus Christ. And so he's not talking there uh, with the mind or the, uh, you know, the thought process of the, the deep theological uh, teacher that he was. Instead, he's being motivated by his emotions. I'd be willing to give up my salvation, he says, if it meant they'd be saved. I'm going to confess this to you publicly. I've not reached verse 3 yet personally. I can't, I mean, outside of my wife, my kids, I can't, I can't think of anybody that I'd be willing to say, you know what, I'll forfeit my salvation if it means they get to go to heaven if they know Jesus. Now, we know that's impossible. We know that cannot happen. But you stop and you understand the man that is writing this. This is the very same man over in 2 Corinthians chapter 12. He tells the story and he basically says, I know a man, whether in the body or out of the body. It's kind of funny that he writes it that way because all the commentators say he was writing about himself. I know a man, whether in the body or out of the body, he saw a vision of the third heaven. Basically, here's what Paul says. I know this guy. I don't know if he was dead. I don't know if he was alive. I don't know if he was somewhere in between. But he, he was sent into the third heaven. Now, let me unpack that for you. The atmosphere, that's, that's heaven number one. Where the stars and the planets, that's, that's heaven number two. When the Bible talks about the third heaven, it's talking about the dwelling place of God. It's what we would call heaven, okay? 
And so here is Paul, and Paul is saying, I was escorted into the third heaven. I don't know if I was alive or dead. I don't know. All I'm saying is I was escorted there, and uh, I'm telling you the things that I saw were so beautiful. They were so majestic that I was told and instructed, don't you dare share that with anybody. See, I think, I, think, I think what Paul saw in heaven was so, so beautiful and overwhelming that God's like, Paul, you can't tell anybody because nobody will want to stay there on earth and live. They'll all want to die and come to heaven. Don't, don't say a word. You say, why do you even bring that up? Because this is the same man who has just said, I'd give all that up if they could be saved. We, we, we've not seen it. So, so glorious, God's like, don't you write it. And he's the guy who says, I'm so burdened. I'm so brokenhearted. I, I, I would go ahead and forfeit what, what I saw if it meant that they could know Christ. Well, can I just stop and say this? God's not asking any of us to give up our salvation so that others may be saved. We know that that is impossible, but he is asking us to sacrifice our pride. Or maybe he's asking you today to sacrifice your comfort zone. Here's what I know about Christians. We are all guilty of one thing, and that is the sin of silence. We have this idea, man, if I talk to somebody about Jesus Christ, the next thing you know, they're going to think that I'm a Jesus freak. They're going to think that here I am. I'm just, I'm this religious nut job. I can promise you there are very few of us that are threatening being labeled as a Jesus freak. I'm just saying, I'm just saying that, that we're going to have to sacrifice that feeling and initiate conversations about Christ. What are you willing to sacrifice so the lost may be saved? And I've done preached myself under conviction again. I hate it. I'm going to go ahead and I'm going to declare this before you. And I'm going to declare this before God. That I've asked God to put a burden on my heart heavier than I've ever carried in my Christian life to see teenagers, to see children, to see men and women saved. And I'm praying that same for you. There's an old evangelist, or there was this old evangelist, his name was Eddie Martin, not the Eddie Martin that goes here. He, this Eddie Martin's dead. I had the opportunity to hear him preach a few times. And some of you, old timers, may, may remember Eddie Martin. He was a Southern Baptist evangelist. And uh, man, he could shuck the corn, I'm telling you. And he would tell this story about, you know, back in the olden days of revivals when, you know, they wouldn't put the preacher up in a hotel or anything like that. He would usually stay with a family in the church. And he was staying with this one wealthy family in the church, and he tells this story, or he told this story. He said, you know, I was there, and the, the wife, the lady of the house was there, and uh, she was getting ready to leave, and, and, and Eddie said, well, I, I'll see you at the, 
at the services tonight. And she said, oh, no, 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 I won't be at the services tonight because I'm a part of a mission group in our church, and uh, we meet on this particular night once a week, so we'll be having our missions meeting tonight. And, uh, and I didn't sit too well with Eddie. And Eddie said, well, I would have thought that you would have canceled uh, all the other things of the church so that you might support the revival services that are taking place. And, um, and she didn't care for that too well. Uh, and so um, it got her all worked up, and she said, hey, listen, missions is just as important as evangelism. And, uh, and he didn't care for that comment too much. And so he responded back, and he said, well, that's all right. You go ahead and go to your missions meeting. You don't care about lost people anyway. And then she said, how dare you say that? What makes you say that? And Eddie said this. He said, well, yesterday I was talking to your maid. He said, I asked her, has anybody ever shared Jesus with you? And she said, no. And I said, would you like to be saved? Would you like to know Jesus? And she said, yes. And so I shared Jesus with her and she got saved. He said, I then asked her, how long have you worked here at this house? And she said, several years. I then asked her, how many times have they shared Jesus with you? And she said, zero. So, so you go on down there to your little missions meeting. You don't care about lost people anyway. And she stomped out. And Eddie said, he stomped out. And... Uh, he said, about halfway through the service, I was shocked. It was a small church that evening. That little lady came in. She settled in on the back row. And when the invitation was given, she was the very first one to come down the aisle. And she was squalling and weeping and broken. She stood before the church. And here's what she said. I've been a phony. I need you to forgive me. I've loved church work. I've loved mission work. I've loved the church. But I've not loved lost people the way that Jesus loves lost people. I want you to forgive me. And I want God to forgive me too. Could it be that there are some of us today that need to say, God, I've not been concerned about lost people the way that you're concerned about lost people. See, guys, those folks that are out there without Jesus Christ in North Florida, chances are you know somebody that knows them or chances are you know them directly. They're not going to break down the doors of this church to get in here. No, you'll have to bring them so they can learn about Jesus Christ. Here's what God's burdened me, me with. We cannot be satisfied. We cannot become complacent. We can't pat ourselves on the back and say, oh, wow, I, last year baptized more than any single year in the history of our church. Now, that's a threat, it's a temptation. 
We can't get satisfied. Because they need someone to share with them the very way that somebody shared with us. And so my prayer will continually be, God, burden me for the lost. God, break my heart for the lost. May it be continually before me. And can I tell you the second part of that prayer? God, may I never forget what it was like to be lost. Let us not settle into our comfortable chairs. Let us not settle into our church that offers an amazing amount of events and opportunities. I'm telling you, you take that bulletin, you look at that bulletin, if you guys were to say, you know what, Pastor, it's all these things in the bulletin that have gotten our focus off of winning the lost, we'll shut them down tomorrow. We'll shut them down tomorrow. Because there's not a thing in there that'll last for eternity. It's only a soul surrendered to Jesus. And so here's how I'm praying for you. God, wear them out the way you've been wearing me out. I'm praying you won't be able to sleep tonight. Because there's somebody across the street. If they were to die today, they'd go to hell. Maybe this morning, some of you would swallow your pride and like that lady come down and say, you know what, forgive me, Father. I have not been as concerned about the lost as I should be. Hey guys, this is Stephen Kyle and I want to thank you for listening to our podcast today, Unchangeable Truth. This is a ministry of Highland Park Baptist Church in Panama City, Florida. We would love for you to visit us if you ever find yourself in the Panama City area. Our address is 2611 Highway 231 North. You can also learn more about our church and its ministry by going to our website, www.highland, and it's H-I-L-A-N-D, park.org. There you'll learn more about what we believe, what we teach, about the gospel of Jesus Christ. There'll also be a sermon archive there so you can go and listen to various sermons over the last several years. As always, we would love to talk to you about your relationship with Jesus Christ. So feel free, shoot us an email, info at highlandpark.org. If you'd like to learn more about Jesus and what it means to follow him, prayers are that you would draw near to Christ, that this podcast would be used to point you to Jesus and to help your faith grow and your walk increase. God bless you guys. Thank you for listening.